This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. A heads up to our listeners that this episode is being recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the latest in our ESG Talks podcast series. We are featuring a variety of different topics that are currently trending in the ESG space, including regulation and now specifically nature risks. Introducing the topic is HSBC Security Services Senior Product Manager for Regulation, Jennifer Lowe. Jen, over to you. Thank you, Gabriella. When we consider the environmental pillar of ESG, much of the focus has been on climate. And whilst climate change is understandably a priority concern, nature is gaining traction in the ESG world as the close interconnection between nature and climate is becoming more widely recognized. Estimates suggest that nature-based solutions can provide 37% of the mitigation needed until 2030 to achieve the targets of the Paris Agreement. The financial value of nature is also becoming more widely understood. The World Economic Forum estimates more than half of global GDP, that's 44 trillion US dollars, directly relies on nature. Companies are increasingly aware of their dependence and impact on nature and are seeking to translate this into financial value, whilst more investors are looking to incorporate nature-related considerations into their investment decision-making. In the near term, policymakers and regulators are likely to broaden the environmental focus beyond climate to address nature-related risks and to integrate biodiversity more prominently within ESG frameworks and disclosures. Initiatives such as the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures will be key in progressing the biodiversity agenda. To explore this further, I'm delighted to be joined by Marine de Basilaire, Group Advisor on Natural Capital at HSBC. Marine, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Jen, thank you. Marine, nature, natural capital, biodiversity. These are terms we are increasingly hearing about in the ESG world. And when we look at some of the research on biodiversity, which have shed light on the importance of ecosystems on human societies and economies, it becomes clear why the ESG focus is shifting beyond climate change and looking more broadly at nature-related issues. Are all of those terms interchangeable? Is there an overall definition? And Marine, when we refer to natural capital, what specifically are we referring to? Thank you, Jen. Well, um, let's get back to the basics. So uh, nature, it's quite easy. It refers to land, ocean, fresh water, and atmosphere. And so what is natural capital? Well, it consists in uh, stocks of nature-related assets. So think of food, water, shelter, trees, animals, etc. That capital gives rise to what we call flows of benefits to people and the economy. Another word for that is ecosystem services, like crop pollination, water purification, flood protection, carbon sequestration, etc. Well, the value of those so-called ecosystem services are estimated by the OECD to be worth 125 to 140 trillion US dollars per year. 
And last, biodiversity. Well, biodiversity it is what enables the ecosystem services delivered by nature to be productive, resilient, and adaptable. We all know that value does not mean price. And most of the value incurred by those ecosystem services is not priced in economic models. So as a consequence, biodiversity is degrading at an unprecedented rate and this poses a systemic risk to the global economy. And that's what we want to address by addressing nature-related issues. Thanks for taking us back to basics, Marie. It's clear how highly dependent the world's economies are on nature. So just picking up on your last point there, biodiversity loss is happening at unprecedented rates. In fact, the World Economic Forum in its 2022 Global Risk Report has ranked biodiversity loss and ecosystem collapse as one of the top three most severe risks to people on the planet over the next decade. For most companies and businesses, the impact of nature loss will likely have a direct effect on its financial performance. And in turn, from a financing perspective, will pose a risk to financial institutions and to investors. Marine, can you please provide us with some examples of the different types of nature-related risks? Yes, sure. Um, the, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure, the TNFD, defines nature-related risks as potential threats posed to an organization linked to its impacts and dependencies on nature. And those can be split into three kinds of risks, physical, transition, and systemic risks. So if we start by physical risks, it comes from the effects of the loss of certain species or key ecosystem services on which an organization could depend. And these could be acute, like pests decimating crops, or chronic, like loss of pollinators. Transition risk arise from new costs related to public policy responses on nature. For example, I mean, halting deforestation or changes to dietary habits. The last one, the systemic risk refer to, for example, the risk of deterioration of one ecosystem services to another leading to a collapse. And for example, the decline in soil health may lead to the decline in food productivity, which may lead to famine. Thanks, Maureen. Is, is there a growing awareness of these nature-related risks by corporates, governments, and investors? Is there an understanding of the materiality of these risks? And is there a shift in terms of how seriously these risks are treated? Well, maybe to start by putting in short, yes, those risks are material. According to the Cambridge Institute on Sustainability Leadership, if nature is not protected, at least $10 trillion of GDP will be lost by 2050 due to the decline of ecosystem services. I actually invite you to read the really good report by the NGFS, the Network for Central Banks and Supervisors for Greening the Financial System. It was released earlier this year and it's called An Agenda for Action on Biodiversity Loss, Financial Risk and System Stability. Well, this report analogies that nature loss could have significant 
macroeconomic implication and a source of risk for financial stability. And as such, it falls under the mandate of regulators to work on addressing it. And in other words, expect increased regulation on nature-related risks. But let's come back to your question. How could it materialize? Well, let's pick three examples. Um, one, remember exactly a year ago, the torrential rainfall that devastated part of uh, Western Germany, it actually cost Germany more than uh, 220 lives and $40 billion, according to Munich Ray. And with only 25% of that cost covered by the insurance industry, well, it's now recognized that changes in land use across Europe are core to this unprecedented event. Specifically, soil artificialization has eliminated its capacity to play its natural role as a sponge, meaning its ability to absorb heavy rains have been lost. Another example, um, invasive insect species alone are estimated to cost a minimum of $70 billion per year globally. Last example, we have been working with the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership I mentioned earlier. And we have evidence the significant impact on our heavy industry loan book in East Asia of a three-month water curtailment, such as the one in Cape Town a couple of years ago. Well, we found that dependency on natural services may be significant, and it could translate into credit risk when provision of natural services is disrupted. Hmm. Marine, just from those examples and estimations, we can see how nature loss can have a very material impact on the financial performance of individual companies, as well as on broader economic growth. As nature-related risks are on the rise, and as governments companies become increasingly aware of what these risks are, what is really needed to better understand the financial impact and to address these risks? Well, it's a very good question. Um, fact is that uh, despite an increasing focus on nature-related risk, there is still a limited understanding by the market participant of what is causing biodiversity loss, where does it materialize, what it means for a specific project, a company, a portfolio, etc. So we need common metrics and methodologies to assess nature-related risks, and this will be key um, to assess how nature impacts an organization immediate financial performance or the longer term financial outcome that may arise from how the organization positively or negatively impacts nature. Also, there is a need for political and regulatory support to address biodiversity loss. For now, at least $1.8 trillion are distributed yearly through environmentally harmful subsidies and this actually threatens the ability of ecosystems to deliver the food 10 billion people will need by mid-century. And when I say food, I should more widely talk about the diverse sectors that rely heavily on natural resources, apparel, cosmetics, but also energy, etc. And uh, citing the um, International Institute for Sustainable Development, a fundamental transformation in the direction of a nature-friendly global economy could produce $10 trillion 
in annual business opportunities and close to 400 million jobs by 2030. So there's a clear opportunity for the private sector to play an even greater role in shifting us towards a more sustainable economy by looking more broadly at other environmental issues to achieve nature positive outcome. But yes, for now, there's a large funding gap. To reach biodiversity agreements globally, it would cost roughly $800 billion a year. Current commitments only amount to $130 billion, so around 15% of the needs. And 85% of that finance comes from the public sector. So we need improved metrics, frameworks, and political and regulatory support to urgently transform this challenge into a business opportunity. And this is where the EU taxonomy and the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure count. So Marie, let's focus now on the TNFD, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, which was first formed in 2020. And you are currently one of the 34 individual task force members representing financial institutions, corporates, and market service providers. Can you please share with us the aim of the task force and what are the primary issues it seeks to address through its work? Well, the TNFD aims to develop and deliver a risk management and disclosure framework for organizations to report and act on evolving nature-related risks. So the ultimate aim is to support a shift in global financial flows away from nature negative outcomes and toward nature positive outcomes. But to do that, it works along with financial institutions, corporates, service providers, academics, and many things thanks, coalition, and standard setter to determine the material risks and opportunities that they need to embed in their strategic planning, risk management, asset allocation decisions, and to report on. Thanks, Maureen. So the TNFD has been called the, the new task force in town, with the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, having been established several years ago now in 2015. And since then, it's been very successful at setting the global framework for climate-related financial disclosures. How does the TNFD compare to the TCFD? Does the TNFD also aim to create a relatively broad framework to allow companies to tailor as needed for their specific sectors? Well, the TNFD is built on the format and principles of the TCFD. Um, it will adopt the same four pillars approach as the TCFD, structured around how organizations operate in terms of governance, strategy, risk management, and targets. However, the TNFD recognizes the particular challenges in measuring nature, location driven, and the systemic nature of these risks. And therefore, it aims to incorporate a broader definition of the term risks and opportunities for each of the four pillars. This broader definition takes into account the evolving views and practices by regulators and financial institutions in terms of how environmental risks and opportunities should be managed. And the framework is also designed to mitigate risks associated with the impact on nature as a result of the organization's activities inside out, 
as well as risks to the organization itself outside in. We talk of impacts and dependencies on nature. Well, this two-way approach is necessary to identify, assess, and manage systemic nature-related risks, which will serve to better inform the estimation of uh, long-term risks to individual organizations. So Marine, to date, there's been good progress made so far by the task force. And most recently in June, the task force released the second iteration of its beta framework featuring the TNFD's approach to metrics and additional guidance for market participants to actually start pilot testing. And following this, there will be, I believe, a further two iterations planned for November later this year and February 2023 before the release of version 1.0 of the framework in September 2023. So the momentum of the task force is really accelerating towards that 2023 target date. And as reported by the TNFD, so far the response to the first version of the framework released in March has been overwhelmingly positive. Do you think this is an indication of how successful the TNFD will likely be at establishing a global framework that is adopted by companies worldwide? And when we look at how the TCFD has influenced national action plans around climate change, really setting the overarching principles for national regulations on climate reporting, is the TNFD likely to yield the same level of adoption by companies, governments, and regulators? Well, yes, indeed, the, the, the response from market participants has been very positive so far. I mean, the consultation on the first beta framework uh, received over 500 feedback contributions across 37 countries. Meanwhile, at this point in time, the TNFD framework is still very much in the early stages of development. So we can't really say for certain how widely it will be adopted by companies and whether regulators will follow the TNFD framework. But we know regulators tend to benefit from a framework that can be adopted or referenced as a method uh, of compliance. We may expect a similar rollout to climate disclosures. The TNFD framework will be voluntary to start to allow companies and financial institutions to become familiar with it. And then regulators may consider whether and how to incorporate it into their ESG disclosure regime. Fact is that in some jurisdictions, it is already a requirement to report on biodiversity. Regulators may follow TNFD and may build upon it, but it's not set in stone. I mean, that includes Europe, UK, uh, Hong Kong, Philippines, Mauritius. I mean, all those are already asking are working on asking for wider than climate environmental disclosures. Mm, thanks, Marie. So it seems likely that companies, issuers, and asset managers will need to eventually consider nature-related risks as part of their ESG disclosures, whether it may be driven by investors seeking greater transparency in the near term, or whether it's mandated, mandated by regulators further down the road. For companies and asset managers who may already be considering the practicalities of incorporating nature-related risks into their ESG disclosures. What are some of the main considerations and challenges that they should be aware of? Well, firstly, as mentioned earlier, um, there are limited common metrics and methodologies which have presented robust risks assessments. There has been a lack of market demand for nature-related data compared to climate, uh, although uh, this is changing. Also, leading physical risk assessment tools can only provide high-level estimates of risk exposures. 
For example, they identify most commonly the level of risk based on subsector, but they less often provide information by location or specific company assets. Transition risks are hard to measure. Uh, we need to see improvements in quantifying specific impact to a given financial institution or company. We need better asset level data in order to improve risk assessment. So companies seeking to integrate the broader environmental aspects into their corporate disclosures now will need to determine the best approach for doing so as the nature-related data and risk assessment tools improve over time. In what I mean, despite these challenges, there is growing recognition of the interdependency and connectedness of different aspects of the natural environment. And there is an increasing number of larger companies reporting on risks and impacts relating to biodiversity. And over time, better information and harmonized reporting frameworks will allow companies to better incorporate nature-related risk and opportunities more systematically into their operations. Great. So looking ahead, Maureen, what's next in terms of pushing the biodiversity agenda forward? Are there any upcoming milestones we can look forward to? Yes, lots to look forward to. As we mentioned, the TNFD just released the second beta framework. So this is a great opportunity for market participants to test the framework. I invite you to connect to the TNFD platform um, and test this beta framework, joining collective pilots or testing it on your own. And then provide feedback, allowing uh, us, the task force, to assess and adapt the framework working towards the final release in September 2023. Um, so that, I mean, our overall aim is that it is as useful as possible to us all in helping to reallocate capital toward a nature-resilient economy. Later this year, in December, COP15 will be taking place in Montreal. It will be a key moment for biodiversity with, we hope, governments committing to a shared ambition to halt and reverse nature loss by 2030. In the draft agreement, um, there is a clear proposition to align all financial flows, public and private, with that vision of the framework, as well as uh, actually incentivizing mandatory reporting for both business and financial institutions. And maybe uh, last but not least, COP27 in Charmel Sheikh in November. At COP26 in Glasgow, nature was put front and center in the climate agenda. Well, in summary, there is no net zero without uh, halting nature loss. And so there's much more that we can expect from what uh, will be discussed uh, in COP27 in Charmel Sheikh. Well, Marie, we'll certainly be looking forward to those very important milestones. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a really interesting discussion. And we'll continue to monitor the ESG regulatory developments as efforts to protect and restore nature gains further momentum. And we'll be sharing more insights in this area. If clients have any questions on this subject, please do follow up with your HSBC representative. Gabriella, I'll hand it back over to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Maureen and Jen, and I can only echo what you've been saying. This has been extremely interesting, and I've learned a whole lot today listening to both of you. 
So thank you again for this. Um, I would like to thank now our audience for listening to this edition of ESG Talks. Stay tuned for more from our podcasts as we explore more trends in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you've heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.